Well, good morning and welcome. If we haven't met, I'm Shay Ryanga. I'm blessed to be one of the pastors here. And this is the last week, the final week of our sermon series that we've been in called Story. And I know the last thing that we remember from some of those children's books that we read, and they all lived happily ever after. As we finish our story, our sermon series called Story, for many of us, we acknowledge that our life doesn't really end that way. Life's a little more complicated than some of the stories we read as kids. And, and many of us are, are unsure about how to share our story because we, we don't feel like we have a story worth sharing and that's the conviction we've lifted up all throughout this series that we all have a story worth sharing because God has redeemed us, because God has called us and because our story is part of God's story. So we've been lifting up this conviction every single week that everyone has a story worth sharing and as we conclude our sermon series today, we're going to look at the very end of the Gospel of John. We've been encountering different people all throughout the Gospel of John. And today we're going to be at the very end of the Gospel and we're going to encounter the Apostle Peter. And we haven't spent a lot of time with Peter throughout this story, but in a way, Peter represents all the encounters that, that we've had so far and all the people that we've met. And I think we'll see that a little bit today as we focus on Peter's story and what Peter may think have, has already been the end of his story and I think as we look at Peter and where he is at today, that perhaps he feels like he's lived past the end of his story. And I think for many of us, if we think about our life, we look at our kids' lives and we see the potential, their story isn't finished yet. But for many of us, we get in these routines and we get in... in, in we get into these seasons of life where we, we think we've kind of... I mean, this is kind of all there is. We're at the pinnacle, whatever we thought life was going to be, like we've just sort of settled into this is it. And I want to challenge us this morning because I think Peter's going to challenge us living into that place where he thinks like maybe he's, maybe this is all there is. And Peter is a unique character who, whose life begins, at least the way we're introduced to Peter's life in the gospel, it it's kind of introduced to us like a fairy tale story. Like here's this brash and bold man who always leaps before he looks. He's always the first to jump in. He doesn't have time to do any analysis or survey the scene. He's just the quick, he's quick to jump in. He's one of the first disciples Jesus calls. Um, he's often the quick to be first in any number of things. He's the first to confess that Jesus is the Messiah. He's, he's the first to get it. He even says it before he understands what even that means. <laughs> he's, he's quick to defend Jesus he takes a sword and he, he chops off the servant's ear as Jesus is being arrested. He even at one point says this, Peter says, even if all fall away on account of you talking to Jesus, I never will. And then Jesus says, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And then in response, Peter declares, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter's bold, he's impulsive, he's reactionary. He's, he often takes 
a step forward before he can look to see where he's at, engage his surroundings, and then soon after, by a charcoal fire. He's trying to warm himself by a charcoal fire. And he's asked by three different people as he's trying to pay attention to what's gonna happen to Jesus. Three times he's asked if he's a disciple, and three times Peter says no. And the rooster crows. I wonder if this is the end of Peter's story. I wonder if he thought this was the end of his story. As we pick up John chapter 21. Afterward, so after all that took place, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So when my dad and I go fishing, my folks live outside of Granbury, Texas, and there's a stretch of the Brazos that, that's right by their house. And we like to, I like to go fishing with my dad. And when I go fishing with my dad, we avoid the area where the dam is. So the dam, they often release a lot of water where the dam is and all the striped bass collect there. So we love to catch striped bass, but what you can count on is when it's good fishing season is there's a lot of people up by the dam. There's a lot of folks and we want to avoid that because it's an unwritten rule when you fish. You respect where people are. You don't want to, you don't want to disturb them. Plus, there's a lot, of, a lot of folks there typically. So the lines can get tangled and you're going to disrupt the fish. And obviously, if they've been there a while, you might not be successful anyway. So we try to avoid that stretch and go searching for largemouth bass, other places, or the sandies. And my favorite time of the year is when they're releasing a lot of water, the water levels up. There's this place called Fall Creek that's an offshoot. And we love to hike through Fall Creek and sight fish. It's a lot of, it's a lot of fun to do that. You, you can definitely count on us not being up by the dam because all these, all, all kinds of people are there fishing. The question here today is why, like, why, why is Peter fishing here in this spot? Like, why is Peter at the spot he's at? in Galilee. Why is Peter where he was before he met Jesus? He's up in Galilee and they're fishing together. And, and I wonder, I wonder if Peter hasn't thought that he's lived past the end of his story. I wonder if this isn't Peter settling a bit, not knowing what to do. Because you see, he's, Jesus has appeared to him multiple times now, twice already. Jesus has appeared 
to the disciples. The Holy Spirit, in in the previous chapter, the Holy Spirit's been given. And yet they're, they're at home, they're fishing in the dark. And although it's smart to kind of fish in the dark, they've had success, I'm sure, fishing in the dark before. Uh, John is real particular with his usage of day and night. The light and the darkness, that the light has come into the world. Salvation has come, but people love darkness. And it's here, it's as, it's as if John's trying to tell us, like, Peter's not supposed to be here. And he's still the leader. He says, I'm going fishing and everybody follows him. And so he's got his crew of disciples up in the dark fishing. And I don't think they're supposed to be there. Fishing's always been this practical and tangible illustration for the church's mission. We're called to fish for people. This is what Peter heard early on when he was first called to share the gospel, which includes our story. Peter and the disciples have already seen the resurrected Jesus. And I think he thinks the story might be over, that not even the miracle of the resurrection, seeing Jesus twice, not even that could lift and he immediately release him from the burden and from the shame he feels of denying Jesus three times. He's supposed to be going to all the nations. He's supposed to be sharing his story and the miraculous truth that that God's love is available to, to all the Gentiles. It's not just to the Jews. He's supposed to, to be elsewhere. He's not supposed to be back home. And it's as if Peter has forgotten, as we often forget, that God, God can't use perfect people because perfect people don't exist. He's chosen you and me He's chosen us broken down sinners and called us to see the sacrificial love that God still has for us despite everything that we've done, that we are messengers of grace with a unique story that is unfolding, that isn't over. Our story doesn't end, it unfolds. And I think Peter's struggle here is is it's like, well, there's this resignation in his life that he needs to refuse to go fishing in the dark when he's called to be and we're called to be beacons of light to the nations. The disciples catch fish when they listen to Jesus, when they hear him say, I want you to throw your net over on the other side of the boat. You're in the wrong spot, you're in the wrong place. And when they listen to Jesus say, throw your boat on the right side, that's when they catch the fish. They don't need any fancy nets. They don't need to exhaust all their lures to do it. They simply have to listen to the clear and direct word of Jesus to throw the net to the other side. And the net, the net is our story. The net is the gospel. The net is the power of your testimony to share the way in which God has changed your life and the net will not break. The net is not broken and can't be broken. And when we receive that direct word and we we receive it simply and follow it, (laughs) nothing can stand against us when we go in the name of Jesus, when we go actually where 
God has called us to fish, where God has called us to shepherd. So a question for us this morning as we think about our story and the call that God gives us is, is are we fishing? Are we fishing? Are we fishing where we're supposed to, where he's called us to? Are we in the dark? Are we trying to ignore the people that we've been called to serve? Are we casting our net on the right side of the boat? Francis Chan said something very interesting this week as we think about where Peter is right now. And if you don't know who Francis Chan is, he's kind of a, he's former church pastor. He founded a church called Cornerstone Community Church in Simi Valley, California that grew to be very large. And he stepped down from that church as its senior pastor in 2010 because he felt like the focus of the church became more about his leadership and the books he was writing and what he said and how he, and less about the just personal relationship with his congregation with Jesus. He just felt like he, he almost had become an idol to them, to the congregation. So he stepped away and he, he planted some churches, some house churches up in the Pacific Northwest and he's been writing books. He wrote a book called Crazy Love that you might be familiar with. And he recently said that he's moving to Asia with his family to be missionaries. And as he describes the reason for this, he describes his life and ministry in the United States he makes a really powerful point and observation that I want to lift up for us. He says, I describe it like this. I feel like I've been fishing in the same pond my whole life. And there's like thousands of other fishermen at the same pond. And our lines are getting tangled. And everyone's fighting over stupid things. And one guy tries some new lure and we go, oh, he caught a fish. Let's try his method. And it just feels like, what are we all doing here? What if I've heard of a lake that's like a five mile hike away and no one's fishing it and they're saying, man, the fish are biting, just throw a hook in there and they'll go for it. Man, I'll make that five mile hike if I love fishing. What would keep me at the same pond? I'll tell you what would keep me at the same pond is, is, is if I built a house on that pond and all my friends have houses on that pond and we don't even fish. We don't even fish that much. We just go out and we hang out and we talk and we play and, and I want to be with my friends. I'm not suggesting you all move to Asia to be missionaries. And I'm not suggesting that I've felt the nudge to pick up and move and be a missionary in another country. But I think he makes a powerful point here about our life in ministry. He's making a point about how congested it is, right? We, we have a congested pond in the United States of America and our lines get tangled, our theologies and our messages and our methods get tangled as we, as we compete in some ways for the same people. And our, our message is met with resistance. We have some immune fish. We have some immune fish and we see the numbers are growing and growing for the people that, that are resisting and, and don't want to have anything to do with the church or have experienced church and are just done with the church. And we've tried all kinds of methods and programming and ad campaigns. We've, we've thrown a lot of shiny lures out there and maybe, maybe that's the point for us that we've spent too much time focusing on the method and not as much time 
attending upon our faithfulness in the Son of Man. In the simple word, in the simple call that he's given us to share good news, to share our story. We've put too much in the net. We've put too much on the hook to try to bait people and lure people in when the net and the hook is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can't compromise our authenticity and the way in which we've been changed. And so we have to be careful in our life and our ministry as we share our story. We don't need more stuff. We don't need a smoke and light show, right? We don't, we don't need to add and pack more and more in to try to feed folks. It's, it's simply the testimony and the power that God has given us that is our story. And at this point in John chapter 21, Peter is finishing where he isn't supposed to be fishing. He's there and it's at this moment he represents for us all those encounters that we've seen this week. He's in the dark in the way Nicodemus is in the dark. He's ashamed of the denials, like the woman at the well may, may have been ashamed of what she had done. He's struggling with this question that Jesus asked us a couple weeks ago, do you actually want to be well? Do you want to believe that your story continues, that this isn't the end? Are you just kind of comfortable with this being it and the status quo? Do you want that? In, in a way, Peter represents for us all the en encounters as he's in this spot fishing where he isn't supposed to be fishing. And having done what Jesus told him to do, they caught many fish that they have to drag and struggle to bring back into the boat as we continue John chapter 21, verse seven. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not as far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. The net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? 
He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. And when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will stretch you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Does a song ever come on and you immediately, like, you have this memory of where you were in your life, like when you first heard that song? You ever experienced that? Or you've tasted something and like that taste brings you back to specific moments. Like if I have liquid smoke on a burger, it's, that's how Mamma made her burgers. And so I think about when my cousins would gather around her table and we would have burgers and fries. When I get on my bike sometimes to ride to church, sometimes I remember like when my brother got on Ronald Wyatt, my neighbor's bike, when he shouldn't have. And he started going really fast down the hill. And as much as many times as we tried to clean this asphalt part of the bottom of the hill, there would always be dirt and dust and sand that would like collect and be caked into this one spot. And he, he hit that spot and he crashed hard. And I rushed to see if he was okay because he'd flipped over the handlebars. And he wore a helmet and it looked like everything was okay until I saw that chin bone through broken skin. And, and so like, as soon as I get on a bike sometimes, I just remember that. Have you ever been around a fire and you're warming yourself around a fire and the smell of the fire and you remember who you were with? Like I, I, rem, I remember this time in my life when I was on a retreat and there was a bonfire and I was frustrated with God. Like I, I went down to the lake and I just remember praying to God like I haven't received yet what, you've, what you brought here to give me. Like I want what I came for. There's just times in our life where we experience these things and, and we hear, we taste, and we smell, and, and it brings back these moments in our life. And don't you know when Peter came to that shore, he comes to that shore fast and furious. He leaps before he looks into the water. As soon as he hears that it's Jesus, he does what he so often does and he just goes. And Jesus tells all the disciples to bring some of the fish in, but it, we're not told any of the disciples help. Peter rushes and gets the job done and comes back. And as he comes back after they eat the supper by that charcoal fire, don't you know what must have been flooding through Peter's mind? As he sits by that fire and he remembers the worst thing he ever did. Three times. And as Jesus asks him, do you love me once? Do you love me twice? Do you love me a third time? And I wonder when Jesus asked him the third time and if in his mind he doesn't hear that rooster crow again. Like, if he isn't just overcome and overwhelmed in the grace of the moment, like this isn't, Jesus isn't holding his hand. This isn't a soothing conversation for Peter, but the grace and the kindness still for Jesus, the son of God, to offer Peter the opportunity to confess three times his love for Jesus. 
that he gets to do that, that he gets to be forgiven, that his story, he learns that he was wrong about so many things that his story wasn't in, ending. He wasn't the man who, he isn't defined as the man who denied Jesus. He did deny Jesus. But he's also still the rock upon whom Jesus builds his church. And then he's both of those things. And then in this moment, we see this restoration. We see forgiveness. And it isn't so he can go back to Galilee and continue to fish at home and settle there. He's given a charge to go feed and to care for the sheep that are lost. He's been given the same job. He's been offered this invitation to share in the same work as Jesus. That his life and his story is going to be for the glory of God and it isn't happily ever after as he goes in his commission to do this work and establish the church in Rome and establish the church in Antioch as he is the rock and is the foundation on which the church is built. But it isn't happily ever after. We, we believe in, that he goes and he suffers and he does die like Jesus died under Emperor Nero after he establishes the church in Rome and the church in Antioch. In life and death and life beyond death, Peter was able to glorify God because he was restored in communion with Jesus. And if we haven't allowed God to restore our lives, then there isn't the power in our story if we haven't allowed God to restore us. We can't share Jesus' work of fishing and shepherding if we don't allow God to restore us, to glorify him. And if you're discouraged, if you're discouraged because you feel like you've, you've tried, you've been trying to surrender and some lay, lay down some things in your life <laughs> so, so that you could walk closer with God and you're not seeing very much progress, the progress has been slow and incremental, I'm here to tell you that slow progress is holy, slow progress is good, slow progress is righteous because restoration is slow. Redemption isn't. Man, redemption isn't slow. For those of us who confess Jesus as Lord and we believe in his reign over our lives and we do our best to follow him, like our position, we are justified before God in that moment, but restoration is slow. The thought patterns and the habits of our life and everyday life, day in and day out, that process of restoration is slow, like rehabilitating torn muscles and broken bones. Restoration takes time. It's slow and some days you feel like giving up, but I wanna encourage you, don't give up. Your story is not over. Allow God to restore your life and restore you. And if you think about those times of your life or those places in your life where you, you, you've kind of given up hope, maybe that's the place you need to allow God to restore if it's part of your walk with God, if it's your prayer life, because you just, you, you just are a little bit ashamed of what God knows about you, of the things that you've done. That's what's so hard for Peter in this encounter is the third time it just sinks in. He knows that Jesus knows. 
He knows that Jesus knows. And still he's invited to confess his love. He's restored. His story doesn't end there. And so I want to encourage you to share your story. And I want to invite the, the worship band to come forward at this time. And if you have, I want to take a little, a little bit of time here um, that's a little different. If you have a, a piece of paper and a pen, great. If not, don't worry about it. And Pastor David wrote something really important this week in his thought for the week. And I just, some of us, it's like, where do I start? Don't even know where to start. Do I even have a story? Where do I start? And even understanding how to share my story and, and offer somebody a word of hope about what God has done in my life. Like, I don't even know where to begin. And he wrote this this week that I think is really important starting point for us to think about, the significant moments in our life and piece together these things, like significant moments in your life. What are some of the significant moments in your life? And to think about those and to write those down. And when you think about the significant moments in your life, whether the times of great achievement, whether the times you feel like you failed like Peter failed, those significant moments, of course, will bring up significant relationships. And what are those significant relationships? And where were you? What are those places that are really important to you? And what did you learn in all that? That's, a, I think, a helpful place for us to start when we're like, I don't, the comprehensive, like my whole life story, I don't even know where to begin. But, but think about those significant moments, those significant relationships, those significant places, those significant times that you learned God taught you so much because we all have a story that people need to hear and the net won't break. The net is not broken. God's story, our story has the power to change so many lives. Will you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for the story that is unfolding, the story that doesn't end because it is everlasting life that you've given us. So forgive us for the times that we get stalled up, for the times that we just kind of feel like we've lived past the end, we've reached our potential, we, we just, we thought life was gonna turn out this way and it didn't, so, so this, must be, this must be it. God, we know in those times when we feel like we may have reached the end, that, that really is a new beginning and you, you haven't even come close to being done with us and being finished with the work that you've called us to do. So help us be aware of that, Lord, that you've invited us and called us and commissioned us and empowered us to be sent with the same work that you had to be a shepherd to fish, to bring the lost home, to lead those who are found into fullness, into a richer and deeper relationship with you, God. Help us be part of that. May our stories have that kind of impact. And Lord, may we begin to piece together our story and understand the way in which you have changed our lives in so many chapters and that you're never done writing a new chapter in our life.
We ask all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.